But I'm excited. Today we have uh, a good, good friend of mine coming to preach. I was thinking about it. I think I've known Matthias, who's the, if you know, if you've been to ETV or your kids have been to ETV or ETM, Matthias is the guy that started both of those camps. Um, And uh, he's the youth pastor over at Gateway. He's been there, I'm guessing, like 23, 24 years as youth pastor, maybe. So I've known Matthias about 25 years um, and such a dear friend. Uh, we don't see each other nearly enough, even though we probably live like seven minutes from each other. Uh, but I was, I was thinking back to my early days in youth ministries, fresh out of Bible college. Um, I, uh, you guys know I love to fly fish. I started fly fishing about that time, and I found out Matthias loved to fly fish. So we would go out, I mean, a lot, probably more than we should have. A lot of Fridays, we were fly fishing together. And uh, and while it was great to fish, it was, it was even better for me as a young pastor to talk with Matthias. And he, uh, man, he kept me in ministry. Uh, there were many, many drives out to the Deschutes River where pretty soon I'm just bawling my eyes out. So, so just feeling inferior as a youth pastor. And here's this, this brother in Christ that, uh, man, was, was carrying me along. So I love this guy. I'm excited. We're, we're in James chapter 5 if you want to open your Bibles. But let's, let's give a hand to Matthias. Thanks, Greg. I, I don't remember that we actually did very good fishing, but it was always fun to hang out. And uh, so good to be here uh, with all of you this morning. I, I, like Greg's saying, uh, harvest, it feels like being with an old friend. Uh, when I was uh, brand new to Camas in the mid-90s, I was up here. My parents had moved up here, and I was just staying here for the summer And my parents were a part of Gateway, and somehow my dad introduced me to this guy, Chris, who picked me up. So Chris was from from Gateway, and he picked me up, and there was another guy named Brad from Harvest, if you guys, any of you were around for Brad Peterson years ago. And uh, we, the three of us, went to Laurelwood to play basketball together. That was like the first thing, and and I had no idea at that time that 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 really that was the beginning of a, a great friendship between Laurelwood and Harvest, really, really good friends serving together in a lot of ways. And I just look around, like there's, it's been fun to see some of you that I've met at camps come in um, over the years. We've just enjoyed meeting so many people from Harvest. And, and, and there's been many times that during vacation, I wanted to come and, and visit and just come on a Sunday and it never worked out. We were always doing other things. So it's kind of cool to finally be able to to come to church here today. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to to James chapter 5, because that's where we're going to be. And and what I want to do first is I just want to read the whole text that we're going to be in. I want to read it as James writes it. We're going to walk through it as Matthias can think about it. But I want to first read it as James writes it, and and then we'll get into this. It says in verse 7, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patient, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. 
But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. I was thinking back to um, just growing up, and, and I, I really, I grew up for the first half of my life, I would say that it was pretty easy, and I know that's not the case for, for a lot of people. As a youth pastor, I've sat with so many teenagers and just like sat with them and listened to them and cried with them because of the things that are going on in their lives that they're walking through. And so I just, I know it's not like that for, for many, many people, but for me growing up, it was really easy. Uh, I had a great family. My parents were together. Just about everything I did I was one of those guys that it came easy to me. School came easy to me. I was pretty successful at things that I did. I got into college. I had a job waiting for me when I graduated college, but I didn't even have to go through like trying to find a job, like I had that. There was just so many things that I remember kind of kind of in my mid-20s realizing that in a lot of ways, like the Lord has just, just made things very, very comfortable for me. But I, I remember reading the scriptures at that time, and, and I was just starting to see in the scriptures this, uh, this reality of, of suffering and pain. For, for humanity, for God's people, that you just, you just see it all over. You just see so many people that, that, that followed Jesus, and, and they suffered, and, and Jesus suffered. And, and then there's some things that you, you can't really know about God until you go through hard things. You can know them in your mind, right? But you don't really know them to be true about God until you actually experience them. And so you can know that he's a healer, but you don't really know that until you've been sick. Right? And then he heals, or you can know that he provides, but you don't really know that until you're not sure how that provision is going to come, and then he comes through. That was just, I was just seeing that over and over and just realizing in my life that there was a part of God that I just did not know because I hadn't gone through things. And I, I remember praying and talking to him about that and saying, God, I, I don't, I don't want to suffer. I don't think any of us ever wants to go through hard circumstances. But, Lord, I, I do want to know you. So, you know, if you're, I'm willing, whatever, Lord. And it's really interesting how God prepares us. It was just a few months later that I found out that, that my dad, who I was very close with, uh, he was diagnosed with, with cancer, and it, it didn't look good. And it actually happened way faster uh, than we realized. He, he passed away actually pretty suddenly. And uh, at the same time, like two days later, my first child was born. And so it was just a whirlwind of emotions, if you can imagine that. I lose my dad, my first child is born. And all of that happened in the middle of a camp that I was directing. And so it was just this, it was just this turmoil all at, at once. And this for me was the beginning of just the reality of that a part of life and following Jesus as we do. We go through hard things. Like we, we lose people we we love, or, or we have physical needs. My, my second daughter, Katie, many of you know her. She's physically disabled, so she walks with the walker. And, and, and honestly, like for Sarah and I, uh, she's amazing, but there's just parts of that that are just hard. She's just different all the time. She's different. And, and I think sometimes we hurt for her more than she even hurts for herself. That's just uh, the reality. We've had financial hardships. Um, 
just all kinds of things that we start to face over time in this fallen world. No matter how hard you try, no matter how smart you are or how safe you are or how much you plan ahead, just the reality is in this world, there's suffering. And if you've been around as you guys have been going through the book of James, you know that James is aware of that. In fact, he knows that a big part of his audience that he's writing to, they, they, they've suffered. If you remember back in chapter one, like that's where he started. He started with this perspective about suffering, that, that, that it is reality, but we can have some joy and, and, and comfort in suffering. And now, like he's talked about a bunch of other things. He's, he's written to different groups of people uh, that he's writing to that he has specific things to coach them about. And now as we get towards the end of the letter, he brings up suffering again. But I think at the end of the letter, what he brings up here, it's less about, it's less about perspective on suffering, and it's a little bit more about advice. Like, what do you actually do? How do you walk through this? And, and, and James, his advice, it, it starts with, with like one truth, one thing that he keeps saying over and over in this text, this, this truth that the Lord is coming back. In, in fact, I don't know if you take notes here or if you're just smart, like you just remember things. But if you're writing things down, you can just write that really big. Jesus is coming back. This is truth for James. This is reality. If you look back in, uh, starting in verse 7, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. A little bit later in verse 8, he says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand or it's near or it's going to come pretty soon. A little bit later, he, he says in verse 9 of the second half, he says, behold, the, the judge is standing at the door. And so when Jesus comes again, he'll come as, as king and, and Lord and, and a part of that uh, a righteous judge. And so he, he, he's, he's there. He's at the door. It's like he's, he's just going to open and he's come. He's going to come right in. This is the reality. Jesus is coming. And this is not James's idea. This isn't something that he came up with. This, this comes straight from Jesus. Jesus uh, when he was here with his followers, he, he talked about this uh, a lot. And, and I was thinking, we don't have time to, to, to just cover all the different times that Jesus brings it up. If you want to read, you can kind of go back to Matthew chapter 24, 25. So, so there's a time where Jesus is with his disciples, and they're talking about the end and, and what might happen. And they ask him a question because Jesus is right there. They're like, when is this going to happen? And, and Jesus says, you know, you don't need to know the time. But, but it is, it's coming, and he talks about the Son of Man is going to come, and he's going to deal with things, and he's going to make things right, and, and, and there's all these things. And I think his disciples, when they heard this the first time, I don't think they understood. And, and so Jesus, again, he, he cares about him. And so the, the night before he's going to be arrested, he's going to go to the cross. You remember he has, a, he has a big conversation with his friends that night, but in that conversation, this is what he says. He says, let, let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He says, in my Father's house are, are many rooms. If, if it were not so, would I have told you that I was going to go to prepare a place for you? And, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus 
He's telling them, I'm going to be gone for a while, but I'm going to come back. I'm getting some things ready, and I'm going to come back. And when I come back, we're going to be together. And again, I don't, I don't think it crossed their mind. I think they still didn't really understand it. And so Jesus, he dies, and, and, and he rises again, and he appears to these, uh, to these guys a, a, a number of times over a period of about 40 days. And then, you remember, he ascends to heaven. And so he's, he, he's leaving now uh, for a while. And as he goes, the, his friends, they're just left kind of staring up, you know, wondering what, what just happened. And then Luke, as he's is recording about this, he says in, in Acts chapter 1, he says, And while they were gazing into heaven as they went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? What are, you, what are you doing that for? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, Jesus, he's coming back. And from here on, the, the, uh, the apostles, Peter, his friends, Paul, they, they talk about the fact that, that Jesus is coming back and what's going to happen and what that means. And James, too, he talks about it here. Like we're going to talk about suffering, but he wants you to know, first of all, that if you're going to suffer, if you're going to walk through that in any way, you need to remember that Jesus is returning. And when Jesus returns, there will be an end to suffering. Like that's the most encouraging thing that, that we can understand about Jesus coming back. That when he comes back, uh, the understanding is he will make right. He, he will, will deal with what is wrong and, and, and he will bring with him his eternal kingdom fully, that we get to experience the, the, the new heaven, the new earth. The, John, he gets some glimpses about this in, in the Revelation, and, and he writes this in, in Revelation 21. This is familiar, and you've got to spend time here. You just Sometimes you just have to, in a hard day, you just have to open this up, and, and you have to remember. This is what John sees. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, they passed away, and the sea was no more. There's no more chaos. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain, for the former things have passed away. Jesus is coming, and this is what he's bringing with him, uh, an end, uh, an end to suffering. No more tears, no more, no more mourning, no, no more pain. At some point, it will it'll be done. And that's, that's helpful for me. That's helpful for me when, when I'm suffering. Like for me, I can, I can endure a lot of things if, if I can understand that there's some purpose to it. And I can understand that it'll come to an end. I mean, anybody that like exercises, you know this, right? You endure 
suffering, don't you? You, you, you suffer for a little bit, but it has a purpose. And, and, and you know, no matter how hard you push or whatever, there's a time when you, you stop and, and it's done and, and the benefit is there. And in a much bigger way, James is saying here, in the midst of hardship in this world, you need to understand Jesus, he's coming back. And James, he, he says it's near. Now, a, a lot of people, we struggle with that, that James says it's at hand or it's near because it's like James lived a long time ago. Jesus hasn't come back. And, and so sometimes we read that and we kind of roll our eyes. It's like James thought it was maybe going to be next week and it didn't come. So was James wrong or was Jesus wrong when he said that he's coming back? Like, what, what's the issue here? And if you've ever wrestled with that question, notice that um, you're not the only people that wrestled with that question. Like guys like Peter, people ask Peter that all the time. And, and so in Second Peter, this is what he says about it. He says, scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And so, so, so Peter says, yeah, there's some people out there that are saying, like, when is he coming back? He hasn't come yet. Everything's just normal. It keeps going. And, and, and sometimes we, again, we feel that way. He's coming, but, but when? So, so Peter, he addresses that. He says this a little bit later in verse 8 of, of 2 Peter 3. He says, but, but don't overlook this one fact. Beloved, that the Lord, that with the Lord, one, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years as, as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so sometimes we struggle with the fact of, of near, when is he coming? He hasn't come yet. And, and Peter says, oh, no, it, it's just like we struggle. We, we just have a different view of time than God. And this does happen. Like I was thinking if we, if we just went over to the kids, wherever they are, I think they're over here, right? And if we just went in there today and we said it's October 1st, Christmas is just around the corner, right? If you're five, you're like, are you crazy? October 1st, there's just so many things that are going to happen between now and then. Christmas feels like forever away. But, but if we go into a room like this and we say Christmas is it's October 1st, Right, Costco already knows. <laughs> they they already they already have stuff out. It's near, and that's what Peter is saying. He's saying we we can't get caught up in the fact of uh, of time and and whatever. We we just need to realize he keeps his promises. And there will be a time, and there will be a generation that doesn't experience death. Like think about that. How amazing. Will that be? And so, so when we're going through hardship, we have to start with this, this reality. Jesus will return. And, and, and so in that, James would say, so, so let's suffer well. I, I think that's what he would say. Or the word he uses is the word patience. And, and isn't patience, doesn't that mean suffering well? I mean, isn't that what you're trying to explain to your kids when you're waiting and they're whiny and they're, you know, moving around and everything, and you're just trying to, trying to teach them to wait well? 
And, and so this is what he does. He uses this word patience. Look in, in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Well, or down in a, a little bit later in verse 8. He says, you also be patient. Or a little bit further in verse 10, as an example of, of suffering and patience, brothers, take the, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. There's another idea that they kind of, they, they walked through it. They, they stayed with it. They didn't give up. They, they didn't get overly anxious. They, they endured through it patiently. And we look at that as, as good. And when I think about that, I think about how, how different that is from how I tend to endure hardship. For me, I, I just want to get through it as quick as I can. I remember that when my dad passed away. Um, I was learning about grief, and, and if you've ever had to walk through grief, it's funny how none of us feel like we're doing it right. So like, ah, I'm so emotional. Why am I so emotional? Or I'm not emotional enough. I guess I'm like, don't, do I care? Whatever, we just wrestle with this. And for me, I just wrestled that everybody else kind of moved on. And, and there were still just days. Like I remember a couple days, like months after my dad passed away, and I, I just couldn't even think at work. There wasn't anything bad going on. And I remember like, like leaving for the day just because I wasn't getting anything done anyways and just thinking to myself like, why can't I just be done with this and, and, and over this? We, we want to hurry through things sometimes, or, or we just want to medicate. Like, we just want it to stop. I, I think that's why um, we're, so, we're so attached to things that we just escape with, like our phone, or we binge watch shows, or... Or, or substances or whatever. Like, it's just those things often are about just medicating something for a while. I just, I just don't want to feel that anymore. And, and yet I think James would say that's not, that's not suffering well. Like he talks about the farmer. This is what he says in, in verse 7. He says, again, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And then he says, see how the farmer waits with with the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains, you also be patient. And so a, a farmer, like there's some things that he does, like they, they till up the ground and they work hard, they plant the seed and maybe some fertilizer, their water, they, they, they kind of like get all that started, but there's a time where, where they just had to wait. There was nothing in their control that they could do other than trust the Lord. And, and James is saying that's the picture. That's waiting well. Some, sometimes you can't do anything to change your circumstances. You just have to trust the Lord. You have to walk through this time. And, and sometimes we just can't hurry through it. But he has some advice. And, and he gives us three things quickly about, about suffering well and, and walking through this. The first thing that I, that I think he says is he, he says you need to have your heart anchored in something that is very solid. I think James would say you need to have your heart um, anchored in the Lord and the truth about his coming. This is what he says in verse 8. He says, establish your hearts. 
for the coming of the Lord. I love that word, establish your heart. Some translations say strengthen your hearts, but, but, but the idea there is, is that your heart would be anchored to something that is unmovable. But before I was a youth pastor, I was a structural engineer, and when you design buildings, you understand that, uh, uh, that foundations are really important. And a lot of times people think of foundations being important so you don't put heavy things on them and they sink into the ground, which is true. But do you know why foundations are really important? They're important like when an earthquake comes and, and when there's heavy winds or things like this. And you, you've got to strap your structure. You have to anchor it to this heavy foundation so that when these big challenging things come, it doesn't go anywhere. And that's the, that's the picture that James has for us, that you and I, our hearts, it can be moved everywhere. And so our heart it needs to be established or anchored in something that is unmovable. The reality about Jesus, about who he is, about what he has done, and the fact that he's coming back. I, I think this is why, I think this is one of the reasons why we spend time here. Like, we, we don't, as Christians, we don't read our Bibles because God will love us more if we do. You know, we, we don't read our Bibles so that, you know, we always have the answer in, in Bible study group and we're the ones that, that knows. That's not, we, we read our Bibles because like regularly this, this reminds us of this God that hopefully our heart is, is anchored in. And so we need to remind ourselves often, and especially in the midst of, uh, of suffering, we need to put ourselves in, in situations, whether it's the word or, or, or songs that are true from Scripture or, or, or a brother and sister in Christ who could speak truth to us that, that reminds us every day to strap our hearts back to something that is solid. He says, anchor your hearts. And, and then he says, don't, don't whine and complain about other people. I, I think it's interesting that in the midst of suffering, this is what he says in, in, in verse 9. He says, don't, don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. That's aggressive. <laughs> and, and why does he put this in the midst of, like, enduring suffering. And, and, and I just say, like, when is the easiest time to be annoyed by other people? It's when you're, you're suffering, right? Uh, my family and I, right after camps this summer, so we, we had all had a blast at camps, and we were tired. And, and then we did something brilliant. We jumped in a car, like, the next day, and we took a road trip. And so we drove, you know, to Yellowstone. We did that whole thing. And, and, and so you learn, like, the first day in the car is awesome. Everybody's excited. You stop places. Everybody gets along. You give a little bit of suffering, like, through the middle of Idaho. <laughs> and there's nothing there. And then all of a sudden, what happens is there's a moment where everybody's whining everybody's frustrated with one another. It's, it's just what happens like when things feel out of control in our lives. We, we like to try to find something that we can control, and oftentimes we think foolishly that we can control other people, which you can't. And then when they're not doing what we want them to do, then we grumble about that and we can complain, and, and it makes it worse. Right? This, this like tears our families apart. 
It tears our friendship. It tears churches apart. Like, James cares about this. I think it's, it's saying that, that sometimes we need to have this extra guard when things are hard. Like for me, you know, when, when it's been a really stressful day, something, something hard is going on, that, that's when I need to take a, a little bit extra longer drive on the way home. And I need to realize, I just need to tell myself, I'm going to walk into my house and everything that's not right in my house, I'm going to notice. And I need to not be caught up in that. <laughs> I just need to be gracious. Or, or James would say, don't grumble about that with one another. Anchor our hearts. Don't, don't whine and complain to one another. And, and practice, like, open honesty about your life. So, so when, when I got this passage, when, when Greg said, yeah, you're preaching. This is the passage that you're preaching on. I li- read through it. And, and the, the, the verse that stuck out to me was verse 12. I was like, I don't know if verse 12 fits. This is what it says. You can follow along with me. He says, but above all, my brothers. And a lot of people wonder, why does he say above all? Um, is this like the most important thing in this whole letter? Or is it above all in just a few things that he's talking about? And people debate on that. And honestly, I don't have an answer to that. I don't know why he says above all. But this is what he says. He says, don't swear either by heaven or earth or or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you might not fall under condemnation. So, So James, he's like quoting his brother Jesus. This is almost word for word what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. So in that day, there was a lot of people that, that, that to prove their worth to one another, they would, they would swear oaths. It's like what you did when you were a little kid and you, you were telling something that happened and people were like, that didn't happen. And you say, I swear, I swear on a stack of Bibles or something like that. They would, they would do things like that. They would say, no, I will pay you back. I swear, I swear by heaven above or I swear by the temple. Or This was the practice. It was, it was to appear appear that you were like really honest and sure about that. And so the bigger the oath, the, the bigger surety that it would be about it. And they didn't always keep their oaths though. And, and so, so Jesus, he cared about that and James does too. That in the end, it's not about the oath that you take. It's about like when you say something, if it's yes, like live that out. And if it's no, live that out. In other words, be, be a person that's honest and authentic and has integrity that what you say on the outside reflects who you are here. That's why I, I wonder if James puts it here in suffering. Like I'm still, I, I'm not sure, but, but here's what I find about myself in suffering. Um, just like it's easier for me to grumble then, it's also easier for me to just put on a happy face. You know what I mean? Like, how are you doing? I'm fine. It's good. I don't need anything. Like, we just, sometimes we just, especially in this culture, we want everybody else to not know the turmoil that's going on in our lives. And so we just, we just walk in and our yeses aren't yes and our noes aren't no. We're just like, we're not, we're not representing ourselves accurately. There comes a time where, where we're in turmoil and we just need to say it's hard. Sometimes you just need to walk to somebody else in the room. And if they ask you how you're doing, if you're not doing well, it's okay to say, I'm not doing well. Would you 
pray for me. This is some things that I need. And James, he goes on. This is next week. You'll get to talk about this next week. But he says, Jesus is coming back. So, so we need to suffer well. We need to have our hearts anchored. We need to not grumble. We need, we need to be honest about what we're dealing with in life. And sometimes you read that and you think to yourself, like, that's hard for me to do. Does anybody do this? Or is this just like James's crazy ideas? And James says, oh, yeah. No, no, people, people do this. People have always, there's always been some people that endure through hardship this way. He talks about the farmer. We read about the farmer. He, he talks about the prophets. This is what he says in verse 10. He says, as an example of suffering and patience. Doesn't get any clearer than this. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. So if you want to do some fun reading this week, just read the prophets. This is, we're talking about the prophets with our youth group right now. It's crazy. And, and what you find is that most of the Old Testament prophets, like, they had challenging circumstances. Like Ezekiel, God comes to Ezekiel and he says, hey, I got a message for you to give to people and they don't want, they're not going to listen to you. Good luck. Right? Like that, what a miserable, miserable calling. Um, you know, Ezekiel's wife passes away and, and God has a message. He says, I don't want you to cry. Like that's, that's hard. Um, Jeremiah, everybody thought he was lying. They didn't like him. They threw him in a pit of mud to just kind of sit there and die until he was kind of pulled out. I, I mean, you could just go through so many of them. And, and, and so James is just saying, look, like people all over the Old Testament scriptures, they did this. They suffered and endured patiently well. And we look back and and, and we're glad about what they did. Or he, he says, Job, he says in verse 11, he says, Have you heard of the steadfastness of Job, who you have seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and, and merciful? What I love about Job is when I read Job, again, if you want to do some reading this week, talk about somebody who suffered. It's just about everything in his life is taken from him. His kids, his, his money, even his health, he ends up with sores all over himself. And the only people that are still around, they complain and whine. And, and so this is, this is like Job's life. And, and when I read Job, what I, what's interesting is, is Job had questions for God. He didn't just like say, oh, whatever. You know, like he struggled. He, he had questions. But, but what didn't struggle in Job was, was just the ultimate faith that he had in the Lord. Uh, there's a famous uh, section in the middle of Job where Job says this. He says, though he, and he's talking about God, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Right? I, I think James, he wants us to see that. He wants us to remember that. Yeah, he struggled. There was issues. That's encouraging to me. But he says, in the end, God, whatever he does, I know my hope can only be in him. James says, that will help you in the suffering in your life. Like, yes, people, they do this over and over. And so I think James would just say, so what about you? Again, I'm a guest here, and it's, ah, thank you for letting me come and be, be a part of this, this place today. I'm a guest here, so I don't, I don't know, again, what you walk in here with. 
But, but I do know the reality of suffering. And, and so I just want to ask you this morning, like, are you suffering well? Patiently. Realizing there's a lot of things you can't control. So you wait on the Lord and his coming. Are you suffering well? Or what's really helpful for me in this passage is think about like of those things that James mentions, like anchoring my heart somewhere or, or not grumbling or, or, or being just fully honest. Which one of those might be the most helpful for you to focus on right now? Again, it's not as much about perspective. It's about advice of what to do to suffer well. But Jesus is coming, and, and in our circumstances, this should encourage us. I, I just want to finish up. I, I want to read, read something the Apostle Paul wrote. Again, it's not just James who talks about the Lord's coming. Uh, it's all over the New Testament scriptures. And, and, and Paul, he's writing to a church in Thessalonica that was going through all kinds of challenges. And one of the challenges that they were going through is they had, they had lost people close to them and they were struggling with grief. And, and so what Paul does as he's, as he's trying to serve people who are struggling with grief, he reminds them again of the Lord's coming. This is what he says. He just gives us a picture he says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord always. And then what does he say? Encourage one another with these things. That's all I want to do this morning. I just want to encourage us with that reality. God cares. He's compassionate. He knows. And he is coming. It will end. So let's suffer well. Let me pray for us. God, um, thank you for this church. Just so many amazing uh, people you've given this church who love you. And yet all of us, Lord, all of us in this room, I, many of us, I'm sure, we're right in the midst of hard things. And, and if we're not, Lord, I, I, pray, I pray that you would ready us to be helpful for those that are. Thank you for the gift when we're not suffering. Again, we don't ask for it. But out of that place of strength, help us to be helpful to those that are. And Lord, for anybody in this room that you just walk in heavy-hearted, under the weight of, of big things, Lord, thank you that you know everything that they're dealing with, that you care and there will be an end. Jesus, we want, we don't say this enough, Lord, but we want you to come soon. Forgive us that sometimes we just get too caught up and I'm excited about next week or next month. 
But Lord, we pray that you would come and in that, that you would be a help. And in the meantime, we want to be patient. We want to have a heart that trust you and are anchored to you. Help us in that, in Jesus' name. Amen.